Chapter 4 of Double Challenge by Jim Gelgard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fugitive The words brought Ted to a shocked halt, just as he was entering the kitchen. He turned to stare in disbelief, and Tammy, sensing something was wrong, searched his master's face as though this would show him what he must do. Failing to find any guiding sign, the collie turned toward the two strangers. He did nothing and would do nothing until Ted or Al told him to, but he was ready for any part he must take. In his turn, Ted looked to his father for a clue and found none. Whatever Al might feel, he was successfully hiding it, and his voice was neither raised nor lowered when he spoke. Somebody finally got him, huh? Jack Callahan challenged. What do you mean by that? Where have you been the past twenty or twenty-five years, Jack? Smokey's been asking for it at least that long. Callahan's voice was hard as ice and as brittle. You didn't answer my question. So I didn't, but I will. I know nothing about who might have shot Smokey, but I can think of lots of reasons why. Is this yours? Callahan's hand dipped into his pocket and came up bearing Al's distinctive tobacco pouch. Ted gasped. His father was unmoved. Yep, but I haven't seen it for two weeks or more. That's true, Ted asserted. He hasn't had it for at least that long. Al said quietly, Stay out of this, boy. You needn't stay out, Callahan swung towards Ted. Was your father with you today? Well. No. Where was he? He was out hunting the coyote. A note of triumph in his voice, Callahan turned again to Al. By any chance a two-legged coyote? Al said disgustedly, don't be a fool. Did you have your rifle with you? What would you carry if you was hunting a coyote? A pocket full of pebbles? Can you account for your actions today? Yep. Crossed the nose of Hawkbill, went into Coon Valley, climbed that to its head, swung behind Burn Mountain, crossed the Fordham Road, and come back by foot on Fiddlefoot Creek. Can you prove all this? Sure, Al snorted. I'll get you an affidavit from a couple of crows that saw me. That is your tobacco pouch. I've already said it is. That pouch. And again, Callahan's voice rose in triumph was found not six feet from where Smokey fell. So? Al, I'd hate to have to get tough with you. Don't think you'd better try it. Lauren heard you did threaten to shoot Delbert. And I also, Loring Blade broke in, heard Smokey threaten to shoot Al. There's more than one side to this, Jack, and suppose you simmer down. I'm in charge here. But you're getting nowhere. Al, will you talk to me? I'll tell you what I can, Lauren. If you had anything to do with this, tell your story now. I don't hold with shooting, but certainly I never held with Smokey Delbert. I, for one, am willing to believe that, no matter how it happened or who he met, Smokey raised his rifle first. I've known him a long while. But you never jailed him. Only because, the warden said, I could never catch him. He was as crafty as he was mean. 
but he's still a human being. Could be some argument about that, Arl murmured. Morn, where was Smokey shot? Coon Valley, the warden answered reluctantly. Almost beside those three big sycamores near Glory Rock. Is he dead? No, but he probably would be if he hadn't dragged himself to Fort Ham Road. Bill Layton, passing in his logging truck, found him and took him to the hospital in Morton. Is he going to die? He's in a bad way. Has he talked? Not yet. How about the bullet? It went right through him. We couldn't find it. How do you know they was shot near the three sycamores in Coon Valley? Bill told us where he picked him up. Jack and I went there to see what we could find, and the warden shrugged. The back trail wasn't hard to follow. Smokey was hit hard. And you found my tobacco pouch. That's right, Al. It was within a few feet of where Smokey fell. How do you know he fell there? Loring Blade shrugged again. He laid a while before he started to drag himself out. There was plenty of evidence. Now, here's a point, Morn. I've already said I was in Coon Valley today. Suppose I had my pouch. Couldn't I have lost it when I passed the sycamores? You could have. What time did you go up Coon Valley? Jack Callahan broke in. Twas before eight. I started early. Then you crossed back to Fordham Road? Don't try to snarl my words up, I warned. I've already said that I went up to Coon Valley to its head and crossed back of Burn Mountain to the Fordham Road. But you heard no shooting. Al seemed a little contemptuous. You ever make that crossing? I asked you a question. And I asked you one. Did you ever cross that way? No. Put on the defensive, Callahan sulked. Try it, Al advised shortly. It's a right smart hop. There's places back in there you couldn't hear a cannon fired in Coon Valley. Look, Al, Loring Blade pleaded. I'll ask you again to tell your straight story. I'm sure there's had to be more to it than this. I know you too well to think you'd shoot Delbert or anyone else down in cold blood. Won't you help me help you? Al said doggedly. I've told my story. Seems like there's an easy way to settle this whole works. What is it? Delbert ain't dead. When he talks, he'll tell who shot him. There's no guarantee that Delbert will ever talk. Jack Callahan said, I'm afraid I'll have to take you in, Al. On what grounds? Suspicion. If Delbert lives, the charge will be assault with a deadly weapon. If he dies... Callahan shrugged. Al looked aside, and the fierce storms that could rage in his usually gentle eyes were raging now. Ted shivered, and then Al calmed. All right, Jack. That's the way it must be. You won't resist? I promise I won't raise a hand against you or Lorne. Loring Blade said relievedly, That's a help, Al. Thanks. Is there any reason, Al asked, why a body can't eat first? Ted and me've been out since early morning with only a snack in between. Loring Blade said agreeably, No reason at all, Al. Callahan glared at the warden. Al smiled faintly. 
Have a bite with us, Lorne? I'd be glad to. How about you, Jack? Look here, Al. If you try anything, I'll give my word that I'll raise no hand to either of you. See that you keep your word. Leave that to me. Will you eat with us? Callahan answered reluctantly. I'll stay. Then Ted and me'll be rustling a bite. Silent, but seething inwardly, Al joined Ted in the kitchen. Knowing something was amiss, but not what he could do about it, Tammy lay down woefully on his bearskin rug. Wanting to speak, but not knowing what to say, Ted looked dully at his father's face. It was unreadable. Finally, Al said, Well, we'll all feel better when we've had a bite to eat, and I, for one, am hungry. He lighted a burner and stooped to take a kettle from beneath the sink. Ted stared in astonishment. Al had the huge kettle, the one they used when there were ten or more hunters staying with them. Half filling it with water, he put it over the burner to heat and took an unopened peck of potatoes from their storage place. Industriously, he began to peel them. Ted said, Dad? We'll need plenty, Al broke in. Suppose you get about four more parcels of pork chops out and start him cooking. But, Dad... Let's not. Al whirled around almost savagely. Waste our time talking. Let's just do it. Sick with fear, Ted did as directed. He and Al froze pork chops, six to a package, and three were all hungry men wanted. Four more packages meant that they could cook thirty pork chops. And what were any four men even for ravenous men, to do with them. Ted got four more packages out and began breaking them apart. He stole a sideways glance at his father. Had this sudden, terrible accusation unseated Al's reason? Ted put the still-frozen pork chops into two of their biggest skillets and began thawing them over burners. Loring Blade came into the kitchen. Can I help? Al said, Reckon not, Lorne. My gosh, you're making enough for an army. Might's well of plenty. Ted, give me another sack of biscuit mix. Ted's head whirled. He licked dry lips and looked at the two pans of biscuits Al had already prepared. Loring Blade turned away, and in that instance, when they were unobserved, Al shook a warning head. Ted took another sack of biscuit mix from the cupboard while cold fear gnawed at him as a dog gnaws on a bone. If there was some idea behind this madness, what could it possibly be? Al was preparing enough food for a dozen men. Ted turned to his skillets full of sputtering pork chops while Al tested the boiling potatoes with a fork. Most done, he commented. How are you coming? Another five minutes. Guess I can drain the spuds. He drained them into the sink, shook them, and added a generous handful of salt and a bit of pepper. He shook the kettle of potatoes again to mix the seasoning thoroughly. Then he put them on the table and pushed the hot coffee pot to a warming burner. While Ted took their biggest platter from the cupboard and began forking pork chops onto it, Al slipped into set four places at the table. Ready? Already. Guess we can eat, then. Leaving the potatoes in their huge kettle, 
He carried it in and put it in the center of the table. Ted brought the platter of pork chops and then returned to the kitchen for coffee. Al passed him with two plates of biscuits. Chow. Jack Callahan, who had been so grim and unrelenting and now seemed to regret it, smiled. Woof! Are four of us going to eat that? If we can. I'll do my darndest. You're supposed to. Doggone it, Al, Callahan said plaintively. Don't blame me for this. I have a job, and I intend to do it. I know. There's nothing personal. I know that, too. Do you have to be so gloomy? What'd you do if you were as on your way to jail? Turn hands, brings. Loring Blade grinned mirthlessly, speared two pork chops, and added a generous helping of potatoes. He broke a hot biscuit and lathered it with butter. The game warden began to eat. Seen Damon and Pythias lately? He asked companionably. Nope. Loring Blade looked down at his plate. Under ordinary circumstances, they could have made easy conversation. But circumstances weren't ordinary. The shadow of one in trouble cast its pall over all three. The game warden ate a pork chop and some of his potatoes. Then, unable to refrain from talking about that which loomed so largely, he burst out. Al, for Pete's sake, if you have anything to say, say it. If you shot in self-defense, I, for one, will buy the story. There's a way out if you take it. I've told my story, Lauren. You refuse to admit you shot Delbert. I didn't shoot him. Callahan said, There's evidence to the contrary. So? Ted toyed with a single pork chop, one potato, and almost gagged. He took a drink of hot coffee and found it stimulating. Tammy, lying on the bearskin, looked questioningly at his master. Loring Blade pushed his plate back. I'm full. Told you you cooked far too much. No harm's done. We'll help you clean up. Right nice of you. Al put the uneaten pork chops, a great pile of them, in two covered dishes and placed them in the refrigerator. He covered the kettle of potatoes and left them on the table and put the biscuits in the bread box. Ted washed the dishes and Loring Blade dried them. While he worked, Ted brought some order to his scattered thoughts. His father was in trouble, serious trouble, and nothing mattered now except getting him out. That meant the services of a skilled attorney, and they had a little money. But he could sell the camp for at least as much as it had cost, and probably he could get a job in Lorton. Ted washed the last plate, and Loring Blade dried it. There was an uneasy interval, during which nobody did or said anything because nobody knew what to do or say. Finally, Loring Blade asked, Uh, you ready, Al? Yep. Shall we go? Guess so. Ted said firmly, I I'm following you in. I'm going to see John McLean tonight. He's a good lawyer. There was a ring of command in Al's voice. No, Ted. But don't come to Lorton tonight. Stay right here, Ted said reluctantly. If that's what you want, that's what I do want. This thing's too harebrained already.
No use making it more so by acting without thinking. I'll come in the morning. If you think best. So long for now. The door opened and closed, and they were gone. Ted heard Loring Blade start this pickup and watched the red tail light bobbing down the driveway. They reached the Lorton Road, and Loring Blade gunned his motor. Ted sank dully into his chair, and Tammy came to sit comfortingly beside him. The big dog shoved his slender muzzle into Ted's cupped hand, and, getting no response, he laid his sleek head on his master's knee. The measured ticking of the clock on the mantel seemed like the measured ringing of tiny bells. Ted fastened his gaze on it, and because he had to do something, he watched the clock's black hands creep slowly round. Like everything else, he thought, time was a relative thing. Fifteen minutes seemed no more than an eye-wink when one was busy, but it was an age when you could do nothing except struggle with your own tortured thoughts. Another fifteen minutes passed, and another, and an exact hour had elapsed when Tammy sprang up and trotted to the door. He stood, head raised and tail wagging. Ted opened the door. Dad! Afraid I got to move, Ted. Help me pack all that grub we cooked for supper, will you? Hills will be full of posse men for the next few days, and I can't be starting any fires. But I kept my promise, Al assured him, and all I promised was that I wouldn't raise a hand against Laura nor Jack. Never didn't say I wouldn't jump out of the truck when it slowed for Dead Man's Curve. They'll be on your trail! Not right way, they won't. I went into the woods when I took off, and they're looking for me there. He grinned briefly. Callahan found me. Come out or shoot, he said. I didn't come out, and he shot. Hope the beech tree he thought was me don't mind. You could have run away from here if you was going to run anyhow. When I run, Al Harkness said, nobody except me gets in the way of any bullets I might draw. Think I want them shooting up you or Tammy? Al laid a canvas pack sack on the kitchen table, while Ted unwrapped the cooked pork chops in double thickness of waxed paper and the excess biscuits in a single. His father spooned the potatoes into gas quart jars and mashed them down. He packed everything into the rucksack and added a package of coffee, one of tea, some salt, and a few miscellaneous items. Donning his hunting jacket, he shouldered his pack. Filling two pockets with matches, he slid two unopened boxes of cartridges into another. Finally, he strung a belt axe and a hunting knife on a leather belt. He strapped it around his middle and took his rifle from its rack. Don't try to find me, Ted. What will I say if they come? Ted whispered. Tell the truth and say I was here. They'll find it out somehow. What are you going to do? Lay in the hills till something turns up. Can't do nothing else now. Dad, don't go, Ted pleaded. Stay and face it out. It's the best way. It might have been, Al agreed, and I was most tempted to go clear in. But it ain't any more. Why? Lorne had his radio on, listening all the way down. Smokey Delbert come to and talked. He named me as the man who shot him and said I shot from ambush. Be, be seeing ya, Ted. End of chapter 4